Well, good morning. My name is Don Cox. It's good to be back with you. I see familiar faces. And uh, I want to tell you what a joy it is to, to be here and to minister to your church and to be part of the beautiful picture of salvation that you allowed me to be a part of. And uh, I just want to thank you for that. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. I serve as your regional missionary, which means that I work with churches throughout the Roanoke and part of Shenandoah Valley, and I try to help in all kinds of different ways. At this particular time at the life, in the life and the history of your church, I'm endeavoring to help the leaders of the church as they march toward the future, looking toward an interim pastor and a future pastor that God has planned and prepared. God knows the end from the beginning, so he knows what he's doing. I I'm just trying to come alongside as a partner and as a friend. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to help you and to be a part of that. Now, I've been serving in that role for the SBC of Virginia since uh, 2004. But before that, I served as a pastor. And I tell you, there's nothing more special than to be a part of the baptism that I was a part of this morning. It's, uh, it's been a while since I've had that opportunity. I... I get an opportunity to help churches in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it means I have the opportunity to serve as an interim pastor. In fact, I'm getting ready to begin an interim pastorate in the town of Christiansburg. Perhaps you've heard of it. And uh, I'm hoping to get an opportunity to baptize folks there. And uh, I appreciate you giving me the chance to, to be a part of your special service today. Now, I do have to say that I have some special guests with me. In fact, if you've noticed, I'm on... Very good behavior because my wife and my two sons are here. That's right. See, they know me. They, they, they know me. My wife, Janine. Janine, would you stand and wave? Do the parade wave. That's right. Hello. And uh, my oldest son, Tim, who's at Liberty University. He's spending all my money. And uh, his, his brother, Chris, who is a sophomore at Glenver High School. And today... I want to open God's Word and talk about what are some, some lessons that God would have for us here on Mother's Day. You know, Mother's Day began a little over 100 years ago. In 1914, the United States Congress passed a resolution that the second Sunday of May would always be set aside as Mother's Day. But how did we get to that point? How we get to that point is based upon the, the life and the legacy of a woman named Anne Jarvis, who was a mother during the days of Civil War times, and she and many other mothers reached out and ministered to soldiers and to their families, especially to those that were deceased and they had lost loved ones. And she reached out to those folks in such an incredible way that she left a, a lasting legacy. I don't know if you realize it or not, but in the Civil War, most of those that died, died due to disease and squalid conditions and malnutrition. And Ann Jarvis said, we ought to do something about that, especially those of us that are mothers. And she dedicated her life to two things. To reaching out to those families who'd been touched by the Civil War, which was most every family in America, as well as preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in her Church, And when she died in 1905, her daughter, Anne with an E, 
set aside a special day in her church to commemorate her mother and every mother. And soon that caught on throughout the state of New York. And eventually in 1914, Congress saw fit to set aside a day for mothers. And today we ought to think about what are some lessons that we can take with us on Mother's Day. The book of Proverbs is written by a man named Solomon. Now Solomon was a great king and he was the son of a great king, but he was not a perfect man. In fact, there has not been but one perfect man who ever existed, and that's Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. But Solomon, who was at the time considered to be the wisest man in the world, he gave to us nuggets of wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs ultimately is about wisdom, practical wisdom. But please understand, it's not just wisdom that you'll find from Oprah or Dr. Phil. It's God's wisdom, true wisdom that stands the test of time. And here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Do you have it? Say amen. If you don't have it, say oh me. You got it. All right. Verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 1. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a garland, a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. We see here that God has wisdom for us, wisdom that we can take with us today as we think about Mother's Day. When you think about the book of Proverbs, you're talking about practical things, practical life experience that, that God gives us in down-to-earth ways and in bite-sized nuggets. Proverbs chapter 1, this passage that we just read, begins by pointing out several things that are important. The first thing it points out to us is the fact that the family is God's idea. The family is God's idea. That's what he says in verse 8 when he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. The family was not invented by us, therefore it cannot be redefined by us. It was God's idea from the very beginning. There was Adam minding his own business, not very happy because ultimately he needed a helpmate to come alongside him. And that's exactly what Eve was to be. And God says through the pen of Solomon, the fact that the family is God's idea. We find that in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. It says, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, how does that happen? How can we be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and to take the, the word of God's love and God's wisdom and God's, God's compassion to the world? How do we do that? Do we do that through homosexual relationships? No, that's not physically possible. Do we do that through people who have no commitment to one another yet sleep with one another and produce a child? That doesn't, that's not what God intended. 
Do we do that when people live with each other outside of marriage, which is very common in our day? No, that is not what God intended. He intended a relationship of commitment. That's what he meant in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when he said that a man and a woman shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, the Bible says. That husband and wife in a marriage relationship are not two people. They become one. It's a covenant relationship. It's not a a contract. It's a covenant of love and of trust and of care. And it is God's idea. It is God's idea to show his love for the world by showing it in the example of marriage. A husband and wife together and if God blesses them with children. Now sometimes what happens in a family is something happens that can be tragic. For example, a a tragic death or a tragic divorce. Those kind of things do happen. And God is merciful to us and ministers to us and helps us in those times when those families are not complete in the way that the Bible says, but can be made complete by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is my testimony. I grew up in a little town, as I told you before, a little town called Alta Vista. Anybody ever heard of it? And in Alta Vista... I grew up in this little town, and I grew up without a father in my home. Did it mean that my mother and I didn't have a family? No, it didn't mean that at all. It meant that God would have to make a difference in our life and pour out his special mercy upon us, and that's exactly what he did. Throughout my young life, God sent men into my life that mentored me and helped me. And ultimately, in June of 1980, I came to faith in Christ because of one of those men, a pastor of a church just like this, who came to our home and shared the gospel with us. And our lives have never been the same. Now, my, mom is a, my mother is a follower of Jesus. She lives in Alta Vista. And she's still involved in her local church. But she'll tell you, her favorite preacher is little old me right here, all right? God ultimately, we have to understand that God's vision for the family, it's God's idea, it's not our idea. So therefore, we can't redefine it. We can't remake it the way we want it to be in some other aberrant way. God has an idea. The family is God's idea. The Bible goes on to say in this passage that the family is God's basic school for instructing children how to live in the world. That's what it says there in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. The family is a place of learning. God has entrusted the, the way of training the next generation in the hands of fathers and mothers. Now, churches come alongside, but it is not our place to take the place of a mother and father. We can certainly supplement and help. We can certainly come alongside those who do not have believing parents. But ultimately, we cannot ultimately take the place of fathers and mothers along the way because God ordained the family not just to be fruitful and multiply, but to be the place of school, of instruction, the place where the next generation is not just born, but is made ready for the world. And I can tell you, God is doing a great work in the next generation in our country. You know, many times you, you see the news and you think, what, what is this world coming to? Well, the Bible says it's coming to Jesus ultimately. Okay, so we know that. 
But what is happening in our world when it seems that everything that's not tied, that's not bolted down is coming loose? It seems like the way that people are looking at the world is so foreign to what they used to believe. I'm here to tell you that God is doing a wonderful work in the next generation. And it's because God is pouring out his spirit upon this nation and the next generation. And so I have a very bright view toward the future because I know what God is doing among us. I wish you could go with me uh, this coming January. I went this past January to the Passion Conference in Atlanta. More than 40,000 college students there to praise and worship Jesus. In fact, they've been meeting in this conference almost 20 years. And you know, in the last five years, they have collected among college students almost $2 million given toward missions. Last year, they gave over $700,000 to build a hospital in the Middle East to reach uh, mothers for neonatal care. These are college students. I'm not sure about you, but when I was in college, I was poor. These are poor college students coming to worship Jesus and ultimately giving that others might hear about Jesus. Now, I'm excited about the next generation. My, my sons are walking in that legacy and I'm grateful for them that they love Jesus and I want to walk with Jesus. But ultimately, the, the place of getting them ready for life is the place of their parents. And so indeed, it's your place if you have children, if you have grandchildren. It is your opportunity to make a difference. You know, some things in life come naturally. When you're born, you're, you naturally begin, a, a baby begins and has a, a sucking reflex. It's, it's reflexive. The iris of your eye naturally adjusts to bright light. The beating of your heart comes naturally. You don't have to learn how to cry when you're hungry. It comes naturally. Those skills, those natural things only get you so far. The rest of it, we have to learn. We have to learn how to walk. We have to learn how to eat and to eat right. We have to learn to take care of ourselves. We have to learn things like patience and gratitude and respect. And if we don't teach the next generation, they will not know. It is our place to come alongside and to support those. Especially those. Especially those that need the encouragement and help of others because of what has happened in their family. The Bible says that ultimately that the, the family is the school of God's instruction, that, that God gives us a place to make a difference there in the next generation. That's what Deuteronomy 6 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If someone were to come to your home today... By the way that you live and by the way you act and by maybe what you have in your home, would they know that you're a Christian? Would they know? Right beside the front door of our home is a little plaque we got in our church. We were at, in Memphis, Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And that little plaque is seen by everybody that comes in and out of our home. And it says, as for me and my house... We will serve 
the Lord. But you know, having a sign or a plaque on the wall or a painting on the wall is not enough unless we're truly living it. And I pray that that would be true of you. Ephesians 6 says this about fathers and mothers. It's really instruction to fathers, but it applies. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The family is God's idea. And the family is the way in which God helps us raise up the next generation. We are the schoolhouse to teach. Now, I'm going to go to meddling here. But you know what I've seen of the parents of my generation and those that follow me? What I've found if, of those parents is I've, I've noticed a tendency for us to invest an all, a whole lot of time and energy teaching our kids how to throw a curveball, shoot a basket, or how to run, or how to dance, or how to be involved in cheerleading, or how to skate. But I wonder, have we invested more time and energy in teaching those things rather than the things of God? Have we invested the same kind of passion that they would be able to understand Scripture and to live it out than if they know every NBA team and their name and the star players? Or that they would be able to be a, a contestant maybe in a beauty contest or a dance recital. I wonder, have we invested as much energy and as much time and as much passion? Because, you know, our children discover what's important by watching us. And what do they see? We are the school of instruction the family is God's idea. The family is the way of instruction of the next generation. The third thing that you'll see in this passage is the foundation of family instruction is the fear of the Lord. That's what it says in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Only fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ultimately, the foundation of what we teach our children and our grandchildren is the fear of the Lord. The family isn't a place where children learn to to eat and to walk and say please and tie their shoes only. But it is also a place where they learn to fear the Lord. The word fear of the Lord. When you see the word fear, many times the only thing we think about in modern English is we think about terror. But that's not what it's talking about here. When it says the fear of the Lord, it means awe, respect, and honor. That's what it's speaking of. That's exactly what we teach our children. We are to honor and respect the Lord in every way. To fear the Lord. That's what Solomon is trying to get across to us. The day in which we live is a day when people struggle with understanding respect for the Lord. Honor for the Lord. Honor for His servants. Honor for the Word of God itself. You see, if we truly fear the Lord, then we recognize that He's the Creator he, and we are His Creatures, he is the master and we are his servants. He is the father and we are his children. And it should manifest itself in the way we live our lives. If we fear the Lord, what does that look like? If we're teaching our children and grandchildren to fear the Lord, what does it look like? Jesus answered it this way. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Genuine fear of the Lord shows up in our behavior, shows up in how we live our lives, built upon the rock of the truth of the Word of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. The passage that I just read is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is reflecting on all that He said, the foundation of the truth of the Word of God. And He says, based upon this, founding our life on this is like founding our lives upon a rock. Oswald Chambers put it this way. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing the Lord is that when you fear the Lord, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear the Lord, you fear everything else. Maybe you're a fearful person. Maybe you're an anxious person. Maybe you're a person that worries about every little thing that happens. It could be, it could be that you're not living in fear of the Lord Therefore, fears of other things dominate your life. I'm here to tell you, just like Brian has displayed to us beautifully, that when you come to Jesus, it transforms everything. It isn't just about praying a prayer. It isn't about merely walking an aisle. It is surrendering our lives to the master who created us and who loves us and who ultimately wants to transform our fears and give us peace. To give us peace in the midst of our journey. You see, salvation isn't just getting a get-out-of-jail-free card so we can get to heaven. It's transforming our life. And it makes a difference in everything. In fact, the book of Proverbs continues throughout the book of Proverbs and, and says there are many dividends for having the fear of the Lord. First of all, it's the beginning of wisdom. That's what he says in verse 7. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 9 says, sounds very similar. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 15 says this. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. The best place to begin the search for true wisdom is in the fear of the Lord. True fear of the Lord is born out of the knowledge that, no, that how intimately uh, Powerful and majestic and full of goodness, God is. Therefore, we need fear nothing else but the Lord. So when you fear the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs also says, the fear of the Lord produces security. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Sounds a lot like what it says in Romans 8 where it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? When we teach our children to fear the Lord, then therefore they are delivered from all kinds of other fears. A person walking in the fear of the Lord is living out the truth of God and they are guided by God's Spirit and protected by His will in their lives. Another thing we see here in Proverbs that we learned on this Mother's Day, is under God, both fathers and mothers share in the responsibility for this family instruction. Verse 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. It is both responsibility. It's not just one. It doesn't say, Now, fathers, you uh, instruct, and mothers, you just change the diapers and stay out of the way. 
It doesn't say fathers work uh, at the office and you have no responsibility to teach the children. It doesn't say that at all. They both share in responsibility. Reminds me of a story I heard one day about a man who came home from work and when he drove up, he noticed that on his front lawn, it looked like a disaster area. There were toys strewn everywhere. All three of his children were running around. They were all muddy and In fact, they still had their pajamas on. They'd been playing in the mud. They were all muddy. And he could see that there were empty food boxes and candy wrappers out in the yard. The door of his wife's car was swinging wide open. And uh, he wondered what on earth was going on. And he looked all around. He couldn't find the dog. Where had the dog gone? And so he proceeds to go inside the house. He thought, something must be wrong. Going inside the house, he noticed that a lamp was knocked over. There was a rug in the middle of the living room, but it was all askew and thrown to the side. The TV was blaring at the loudest volume, watching the tune to the cartoon channel. He noticed there were toys and clothing all around the living room, and as he made his way to the kitchen, he noticed that the kitchen was was filled with dirty dishes and and, uh, food everywhere. The refrigerator door was swinging wide open. He thought, what on earth has happened? And so he made his way upstairs to his wife's bedroom, and while he did, he stepped over toys and clothes. He went into her bedroom, and there was his wife, sitting on the bed, reading a novel. She said, well, how was your day? And he said, fine, what happened here? She said, well, you know all those times when you say to me, what did you do all day? Well, today, I didn't do it. A family has responsibility not just for mothers, but for fathers. We can't abdicate that responsibility. It is together that we work. You know, if you read in the New Testament, it's very interesting, not just my story that I shared with you, but if you read in the New Testament, you'll see that Timothy himself, the Tim of the Bible, not just the Tim sitting on the front row here that belongs to me. The Bible says that Timothy had been deeply instructed by his mother and grandmother. In fact, 2 Timothy 1 says this, I am mindful of the sincere faith that within you, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure is in you as well. Then in chapter 3, he says, you, however, writing again to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that is, from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are also able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You have to understand that Timothy grew up in a home where his father was a Greek. He was an unbeliever. And so for him to come to faith in Christ meant that his mother and grandmother would pour into him the Scriptures so that when his heart ultimately was drawn by the Lord, it was able to bear fruit because of the seeds of Scripture that were already planted within him. How many seeds of Scripture and of the truth of God are you planting in your children? 
How are you doing that in your life? Are you leaving that kind of legacy? Timothy was saved because of the impact of his mother and his grandmother. I wonder what impact we will have on the next generation in our home. And those over which we have influence. Of all the things that I wish I had done more of. It would be to instruct my kids in the scripture. Because there will come a day. When they'll be off on their own. And have you planted the seeds of the gospel like you should? The fifth thing that we learn on this Mother's Day is that God calls sons and daughters to be submissive to their mothers and fathers. Now I'm going to mess with the children. All right, I've been messing with moms and dads. Now I'm going to mess with you kids. The scripture says God calls sons and daughters to be submissive to their mothers and fathers. Again, verse 8 says, Hear your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching." There are two commands here about rebellion. One is the kind of rebellion when you're in the home, when you're still in the home, and you refuse to listen to what your parents try to tell you. The other way that we can rebel and violate this scripture is when we leave the home and we totally forsake what we've been taught when we ought to know better. I think all of us can look at our lives as we get older and think, you know, there's some things I really should have listened You know, it was amazing the transformation that happened in the relationship between my mother and I when I got out on my own. All of a sudden, I was asking her what she thought. Whereas all those years, I didn't think she knew a thing. All of a sudden, she got smart. Hopefully, you'll have that same experience in your life. My encouragement to you is rush to that. Don't wait for it. Understand that God has given you parents... And the influence in your life, you ought to listen. It's kind of like math class. You don't really pay attention until that moment when you think, boy, I should have really listened. So indeed, it can be with parents. Young people, when you're at home, listen to your parents. Don't write off what they have to say. Do it for God's sake. When you're out on your own, understand that your parents still have wisdom and that you can lean upon that. And parents, I would encourage you to be the kind of person that you can be open that they can come home and talk to you about those kind of things. And don't begin with, I told you so. Not the best way to begin, folks. Instead, be open and be able to listen. The scripture says in Exodus 20, honor your father and mother. Elsewhere, the scripture says, Respect your parents so that your days may be long. I know a good way to shorten your days, and that's not to listen to your parents. Somebody said this. They said, listen to your parents' advice, not because they're always right, but because they have more experience at being wrong. True. I can testify to that. There have been many times when I've had to tell my own sons, I've had to say, well, I'm going to tell you what you ought to learn from this situation because I did it the wrong way, and you can learn for me. You know, just imagine for a moment that you're traveling across the country and you've never been there, but you have a friend who had made that journey. Wouldn't it be wise to say, what did you learn on your trip? What did you learn and what can I learn from you in this process? So indeed, that is true with parents. They're just a little bit farther along. The sixth thing we learn from this passage is God ordains a reward for sons and daughters who do not forsake the teaching of their father and mother. The scripture says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a 
graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. What this verse makes plain is the instruction of fathers and the teaching of mothers rooted in the fear of the Lord. It's good news. It's good news. Kids don't always feel that way, do we? We don't feel that way. But instead, the scripture says that it is good news. Sometimes parents have, have, have poured into us and we've not listened. And therefore, we do not have this beautiful decoration of the wisdom that we've learned from others. Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother. It is the first commandment with a promise. And that's the promise that it's talking about right here. The promise of the blessing of God. If you will listen to the instruction, the one that God has placed in your life to school you, to Get you ready to be the next generation. Not the next generation only, but the now generation. Scripture says in Proverbs 14, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And that should come from us moms and dads. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that, no, no, uh, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. The Scripture gives a beautiful picture that taking the wisdom, the fear of the Lord, it adorns us like a garland pendant around our neck. It is a beautiful display, a wreath saying that God is at work in our lives. Now since it's Mother's Day, perhaps the way we should end is by reminding ourselves as sons and daughters, whether old or young, that the fountain of life and the fountain of strong confidence and deep satisfaction comes from honoring all the truth that our mothers and fathers have taught us. And it comes back to us as a crown, a pendant, a, a wreath. I can tell you this, moms, dads. The scripture is true when it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I hope that you'll have that experience. That you can have no greater joy than to know that your children are walking in the truth. You know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that today. The truth of what we've looked at here in the book of Proverbs. Means for some of us we ought to be grateful. We ought to be grateful for those that God placed in our lives that have poured out into our lives the fear of the Lord. They've taught us the truth of God. For some of us, we ought to be extremely grateful because it is a gift from God. Not everyone gets to experience that, I can assure you. For some of us, we come to this passage and it is a moment when we can make a choice. We can make a choice of where we will turn from now on. What will we emphasize in our instruction in our home? Is it merely to teach them how to play sports or to be involved in extracurricular activities or to do well in school? Are we going to take this moment as a wake-up call to say, from this point forward, I will make my home a place where the Scripture is read and taught and we grow together? Now some, when you come to the Bible and you want to begin something new like this, reading with your children and learning the Bible, I want to give you a secret. I want to give you a hint. Okay, you ready? When you're teaching your children the Bible and the truth of God, understand that none of us know it all in the first place, even though we want to give that appearance. And understand that the real secret is to stay just one step ahead of your children.
That's the beauty of leading it. You know exactly where you're going. So maybe today some need to say thank you to God in gratefulness because of the legacy of godliness that you have in your family. Maybe some of you today need to say from this point forward, I want to make a difference, a change in how we're living in our family. Some of you come today on this Mother's Day and it is a time when you can look and maybe with a tinge of sorrow, one that you loved has gone on to be with the Lord. One that poured their life into yours and loved you in so many different ways and unconditionally. If you want to be with them again one day, if they were believers, maybe today is the third decision that could be made and that's to say, I, myself, for today, I'm going to say that I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to do what Brian did. I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm not going to run from you anymore. I want to run with you. I want to be your follower. Maybe today, you want to transform a family? Give your heart to Jesus, and it will transform your family.